On this episode of One Hour in the Past, we're exploring the history of electric vehicles. The president of the company, American Battery Company of Chicago, whose name was George Burroughs, had his youngest son driving potential customers around the fair in the car. And his youngest son was Edgar Rice Burroughs, who was the famous novelist and creator of the character of Tarzan. (laughs) Wow. The history of electric vehicles coming right up. Welcome to One Hour in the Past, a podcast series presented by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center and hosted by me, Kathleen Powell, Curator, Supervisor of Historical Services, and Adrian Petrie, Visitor Services Coordinator. Our community is filled with diverse stories, and we recognize that our story begins with the Indigenous peoples of this land. We acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on lands that have been inhabited by Indigenous peoples for millennia, and we would like to honor the centuries of Indigenous peoples who walked on Turtle Island before us. As museum professionals, our jobs are manyfold. We are managers, curators, customer services representatives, historians, tour guides, and much more. Sometimes we find ourselves pining for interesting histories in our daily work. The podcast has a simple idea. Research can lead you in some strange and wonderful directions. Like Alice's adventures in Wonderland, you can easily end up down a winding rabbit hole that takes you off your original path towards some new and amazing historical places. But because we don't have all day, we each only get just one hour to research the topic. Just 60 minutes, that's it. We research separately, and then come back together to discuss where One Hour in the Past has taken us. On this episode of One Hour in the Past, we're exploring the history of electric vehicles. As always, we start with the definition of what we're looking at, and uh, this definition was more difficult to find <laughs> since it's, uh, it's, a not, it, it's, it's a, almost a process more than a thing. Anyway, electric vehicles, have a battery instead of a gasoline tank and an electric motor instead of an internal combustion engine. That's probably the easiest way to define the difference between those two. (laughs) Uh, Next up, we share where we began our research and where we ended up. Uh, So I'll start. And I started with uh, Alessandro Volta who is the man most widely credited with the development of the electrochemical cell. And I Very cool. ended with Edgar Rice Burroughs, who is a famous novelist and the creator of Tarzan. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, I started with trying to find out how many electric vehicles there are in Canada. And I ended up at the top bike manufacturer in China, uh, which is the Tianjin uh, Fujita Group in in, uh, Tianjin, China, which is about two hours outside of Beijing. Wow. (laughs) I was hoping we wouldn't go in the same same directions, and it doesn't sound like we did at all. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) All right, so Kathleen, why don't you go first? Tell us all about your research journey. 
Okay, so as I mentioned, I started with Alessandro Volta. I was actually really interested in finding out, you know, how, how did we even come to getting electricity for vehicles in the first place? Uh, because, you know, the biggest challenge with the whole thing is the battery situation. Uh, it still is today even, I think. Um, and so uh, I found a book called The History of Electric Cars by Nigel Burton, which was very helpful. <laughs> Thank you, Nigel. <laughs> and, uh, and so he talked about the history of uh, how this really all started. And basically, it really can go back to Volta, who was a physicist in Italy, Cuomo, Italy, in the 18th century. Um, and he took an invention that had already been developed by a Swedish professor named Johan Wilke, uh, and he created something that was called electrophorus. I don't know what that is. Um, and it used static electricity or electrostatic induction in his experiments. So they actually started his original experiments used, it, used, it, used static electricity. So, you know, when you take a balloon and you rub it against your hair and it sticks to the wall, that kind of uh, static electricity was what was used in early electrical experiments. Uh, but Volta was also a pioneer in experiments in electricity, in a part of electricity called electric capitants, which is basically how to study the charge, <laughs> the amount of electricity and its potential. Uh, and then he also experimented with primitive ignition systems. So using electricity to uh, light gas, basically, <laughs> he used methane gas, uh, at least in one of the ones that it talked about here. And then, of course, we know that uh, eventually we'll come back to Volta, but we know his name was used to uh, to help us to understand how much electric charge is there. Uh, so thank you, Volta, and bringing us the word Volt, which eventually was the name of a car. Um, so it all came back around. <laughs> but at the same time, this is more interesting. It was, was kind of a, a strange tale relating to frog's legs. Um, at the same time as Volt was doing his experiment, there was another physicist, Luigi Galvani, who was a medical professor who was doing uh, experiments on uh, frogs using electric or static electricity as well. And by accident, it's amazing how many inventions come about by accident. By accident, his assistant touched the animal's n crucial crural nerve. So I think it's a nerve in his leg, in the leg of the frog, with a steel scalpel and he created accidentally an electric charge, which made the leg kind of jump. And uh, it kicked as though the dead frog was alive again. <laughs> and so Galvani and his assistant, assumedly, were convinced that they were seeing something that they called animal electricity. Uh, interestingly, there's another literary connection here in that this experiment med led many people to believe that electricity could be used to revive the dead. And it was also the theory that uh, this theory of reanimation that was the inspiration for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So all of these things end up all kind of connecting in the world. Uh, but let's go back to Volta. Um, he actually didn't think you needed animal tissue to, you, to make electricity. Uh, and he wanted to prove this. So he put together copper and zinc plates that were separated by pasteboard that was soaked in an electrolyte, which was a mix of salt and water, stacked them all on top of each other, 
uh, and then attached a metal connector to both ends, essentially. Um, and when the top and the bottom contacts were connected by a wire, uh, he measured the electrical current that, that ran through it, uh, which is basically was the start of the, the battery, of this primary battery, and it was actually named after him, and it was called the Voltaic Pile. It was called the pile because it was just a pile of things stacked on top of each other, which I think is kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, so that's part one of the whole. Uh, and I have to say, actually, that that makes so much sense from hindsight. Yeah. But I would never be able to invent that. But like totally, that makes so much sense. That's true. These yeah. people were so, so smart. So yes. part two is uh, chemist Michael Faraday in 1821 who built uh, some devices using what Volta, Volta had done. Um, he built two devices to demonstrate how a wire rod carrying a current from the voltaic pile could rotate around a fixed magnet in one end, if, sorry, if one end extended into the liquid conductor uh, to complete the circuit. So in essence, he had created the world's first electric motor. So you need, there's two parts, you need the battery, but then you also need the motor <laughs> that runs off that battery. So he, uh, um, by creating this thing with magnets that turns and turns one way and then turns the other way, it actually created this motor. Uh, and so that's in 1821. And then the next year, a gent named Peter Barlow refined that invention and he actually showed his electric motor turning a wheel. So that's kind of starting us off towards this idea that a motor can turn a wheel. And then you've still got this, um, uh, this battery that, that powers it all. Uh, in 1831, Faraday also created the world's first dynamo, which was called the Faraday disc. And uh, apparently Faraday's work, according to uh, um, Nigel Burton, uh, he says it's described as the cornerstone of understanding that underpins all electrical technology, including the motors and generators that power electric vehicles today. Um, I didn't have time to go back and do more research on Faraday disc, but really it's this, you know, that the, uh, the main Thing that kind of keeps us keeps the electricity moving so interestingly enough in 1835 a blacksmith in vermont took this invention and built the first vehicle that was powered by an electric motor didn't do much uh, in 1838 a, a scottish chemist built the very first electric locomotive which i thought it was interesting uh, but the main problem was that it was super slow compared to coal <laughs> <laughs> and we're still in 1838, we're still at least a decade away from rechargeable batteries. So the biggest problem is that you have to put a new battery in when the battery loses its charge. Uh, and they were very expensive, more expensive than coal. And that I think is a common theme across electric vehicles even today is the expense versus uh, convenience um, versus you know whatever other considerations uh, about the environment or whatever else. Uh, also, the, um, this idea of using electric vehicles, especially locomotives, uh, workers who worked in coal-fired locomotives were quite worried that this was going to make them lose their jobs. And so they actually had, there was some labor unrest that was related to the invention of electric locomotives. Uh, and they actually went in and, to this guy's workshop that had created the first electric locomotive and destroyed the machine. So 
it was gone, gone after that. Uh, so then it took a while. We're moving on to 1832 to 1839. A gent named Robert Anderson uh, creates a battery that could power a horseless carriage. Now, when I say a horseless carriage, we're literally talking about like something the size of a wagon or even smaller that had wheels on it with <laughs> some batteries and stuff and a motor on top of it. It wasn't like a person could ride on this thing just yet. <laughs> <laughs> And again, the rechargeableness of the battery was the problem. Uh, it's it was a big deal. Um, but then a Dutch scientist whose name is very difficult to pronounce, Sibrandus Strating, uh, created. He was uh, doing studies in electromagnetic moving force, and he created a little platform on wheels, a moving platform on wheels that carried a galvanic battery on the platform. So. You can imagine this thing. You can actually find it on the internet. It's a little wooden platform. It almost looks like the seat of a bicycle. It has three wheels below it that are metal, like those old baby buggies, basically. <laughs> <laughs> then on top, there's a little motor on the back. And in the front, it's like an upside down large glass jar with the battery inside of it. So all the metal plates and then diluted acid, dilute acid inside this glass jar. Yeah, because that's something we want to put yes. into motion. So that is the problem, as you can see, <laughs> that uh, it, <laughs> it was a big challenge of keeping the acid from basically crashing and burning or crashing and falling and, like, and pouring all oh. over everything. Uh, yeah. But it was able, it moved. The carriage weighed 6.6 .6 pounds, which is three kilograms if you're looking at it in metric. And it could drive for about 15 minutes, loaded with half its own weight before it, uh, it, the current was exhausted. So, I mean, in theory, you could scale up and just make it giant. Uh, but imagine the size of the battery, it'd be crazy. But it only lasted for 15 minutes uh, and it could carry some weight. Uh, electric vehicles, though, at the time were quite popular in imagination anyway, because they were simpler, they were lighter, they carried no heavy fuel, and they didn't have the uh, danger of explosion or fire. Uh, although I suppose battery acid pouring all over you is really not a great situation either. It's probably just as bad as fire. <laughs> or your combustion engine exploding. Exactly. So they also there were electric boats and all of these things. Um, and then, uh, so I kind of skimmed through a little bit of the next little bit of evolution of these battery powered cars um, to uh, something that really stymied, especially British the British movement of cars. I didn't really get too much into the North American side of electric vehicles until closer to the end. But in the British part of this, the whole thing was stymied by something called the Red Flag Act, which was British legislation. In fact, they, this guy calls it notorious. And it was in 1865. Uh, and it was also um, adjusted in 1878. And it was designed to curb excessive speeds. It was really designed because of locomotives. Uh, but cars, electric cars and internal combustion cars, both were kind of caught up in this red flag act. And it stipulated that a locomotive had to have a man with a, a red flag walking in front of it as a warning um, as it was moving through whatever, anywhere. Um, and the red flag guy was also supposed to uh, calm horse-drawn traffic ahead of the locomotive's appearance. Um, 
So anyway, uh, it also had regulations for lights and how many lights you were supposed to have on your vehicle. You're supposed to have two at the fr front and one on each side. Uh, and it also had an early highway code. It was a very one of the very first highway codes and it meant that locomotives had to give way to horse-drawn traffic. Uh, and it also included the world's first speed limits, which was two, hour, two, two miles per hour in town and four miles per hour in the country. And amazingly, the fine, if you went over the speed limit, was 10 pounds, which wow. was huge in 18, uh, even 1878, 10 pounds would have been a lot, <laughs> a lot of money. Uh, but also the legislation allowed towns to set up their own rules for hours of operation and top speeds in their towns. Uh, but it uh, it really stopped a lot of the uh, invention of vehicles that could go faster, A, and then also there was this challenge with uh, horse-drawn traffic and, um, and vehicle traffic that was non-horse-drawn on the same roads. Uh, so it, but eventually it was repealed in 1896 as, uh, you know, the world kind of caught up, this legislation caught up with what was happening in the rest of the invention world. Um, but in the end, cars that were horse, horseless, especially electric vehicles, were really kind of also still not so comfortable to drive in. None of these were comfortable because you still had wheels that had just like a either a wooden or a metal frame on the wheel. There was no rubber tires yet. And uh, they bumps and the roads were terrible. Bumps on the road, uh, springs and things like that. Uh, were made the ride very uncomfortable for most passengers. It really wasn't until 1887 when they invented pneumatic tires that there was a big, huge leap forward in people wanting to ride around in these vehicles. <laughs> Some of the pictures just look very uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 So you don't want to go any distance, right? Uh, the other thing I thought I found an interesting fact that this was also considered clean, clean. Uh, source of transportation even in the 19th century and from their perspective clean meant that there was no smell and mess of horse-drawn vehicles because <laughs> the roads were just covered in horse droppings and <laughs> that kind of thing there was much less noise than an internal combustion engine uh, and the electric vehicles started more easily with no complex gearbox although you know real car people today would tell you that the gearbox is the best part of the uh driving a combustion engine uh, vehicle so <laughs> so there's a, always this kind of push and pull of all of these preferences for different uh, people uh, so then uh, that was all kind of the British what was happening in Europe and just at the very end I got to uh, the 1893 Chicago World's Fair there were six electric vehicles on display only one of them was American and it was one that was a, a car built by William Morrison of Des Moines, Iowa. And by this point, his machine uses 24 cells to power a four uh, horsepower motor with a top speed of 14 miles per hour or 22 kilometers per hour. So it's going pretty good by this point. That's a pretty good speed at that point. And the battery could charge for 10 hours. The battery charge lasted for 10 hours which isn't too bad if you it's wanted to good. go from, from town to town or city to city. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this car was bought by the American Battery Company of Chicago. They bought the rights to this car and they wanted, they were hoping they would manufacture it. I'm getting close to Tarzan here. <laughs> this is my last <laughs> little fact. I couldn't get any further than this. Yeah. I didn't really get to modern electric vehicles at all. 
Um, Me neither. And that uh, they showed this car, like I said, at the 1893 Chicago World's Fair. And the president of the company, American Battery Company of Chicago, whose name was George Burroughs, had his youngest son driving potential customers around the fair in the car. And his youngest son was Edgar Rice Burroughs, who was the famous novelist and creator of the character oh of Tarzan. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so there you go, the connection of electric vehicles to literature. <laughs> that is super cool. Well done. That was, uh, that was very interesting. I was wondering how the heck you were going to get to Tarzan. That is really cool. And I was looking at some of that really big um, uh, corporate uh, history, like all these companies and inventors and everybody, all these car companies all over the place. And uh, there are some really interesting stories, which I didn't really get into and you didn't really have time to get into either. So if you're listening, go look at some of these yeah. car company histories because the, the corporate history of, it, of the car companies is pretty incredible. So I started uh, with... My first question was, how many EVs are there in Canada? <laughs> uh, and it's kind of hard to find a, a number, but basically in the last six months, it's gone up about 3%, uh, 8.2% uh, from 5% in the last six months. Wow. So uh, EVs are suddenly quite popular. Uh, might have something to do with the, pr the current price of gas. <laughs> uh, in 2021, ZEVs... Uh, which is zero emission vehicles, comprised 5% of all vehicles. Of new ZEVs registered, 93% were registered in Quebec at 42.8%, uh, in BC, 27.7%, and in Ontario, 22.9%. So most of the new ZEVs or EVs in Canada are in those three provinces. There were also some really interesting stats tables on the StatsCan website about this, about ZEVs, and I encourage everyone to go look at them. They're kind of neat, especially for the stats people. Um, <laughs> things like the retail trade of ZEVs, the, the employment in the industry of manufacturing, uh, prices and price indexes, time use, and journey to work. Right. Really interesting was the time use because I thought it would be much higher than it is. But the daily average, this is 2017, the daily average time spent in hours on transport to and from activities in Ontario, oh, sorry, this is 2015, yeah, by mode of transport. Uh, in Ontario in 2015, the daily average drive to an activity, not necessarily to work, but it could be to whatever, uh, is uh, one, uh, 1.3 hours average in total in a private vehicle yeah in total so that's like maybe 25 minutes to work or 32 minutes to work or whatever uh 0 0.1 hour on active transport which makes sense if you are going to bike or walk you probably live fairly close and uh 0 0.2 hours on a public transport which also makes sense you probably enter in city use of trans public transportation and that's just in Ontario so most medium to large urban centers have public transportation you likely live close to your work uh, in Canada though I thought was this was pretty interesting as well 
1.5 million people drive 1 to 2.9 kilometers to work. And this was specific to your commute. Right. While 200,000 people uh, take public transit and 300,000 people take active active transit, which is walking, biking, whatever, uh, in the same distance. Yeah. So 1.5 million people drive 2.9 kilometers, <laughs> but 200,000 people take uh, public transit and 300,000 people take active transportation. I hope that's growing. <laughs> on, on, yeah, and maybe switching. Yeah. On the other side, on the other side, 900,000 people drive 35 kilometers or more. This is back in 2015, yeah. by the way. While 100,000 people take public transit and only 1,900 people take active transportation. So the ratios there are way off. In other words, we drive too much. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought those were really interesting, especially for people. We drive too much over short distances. Yeah. Like, I so can see, like, if you're going over 10 kilometers, like, you're probably yeah. not going to walk, but especially in the wintertime. But uh, yeah. if it's only two kilometers, that's not very far. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Yeah. So um, anyway, I thought that was super interesting. But then I really wanted to know about the early, early uh, electric cars and vehicles, uh, which you touched on a little bit briefly. And this is where we sort of cross paths a bit. Between 1828 and the 1840s, electric motors were being developed and some powered vehicles or things that could move <laughs> that had wheels. Uh, we might not call them vehicles. Some later in the 1830s and 1840s were used to power locomotives, as you mentioned. Uh, but again, only as in experimental ways because, again, of that, that battery issue. EVs were very, very popular in Britain, France, and Germany. Yeah. And so I went, I went off to Germany. Uh, because Andreas Flocken built the first, what's considered to be the first real electric car in 1888 in Germany. Wow. It does kind of look like a horseless carriage. It is a horseless <laughs> carriage, honestly. You could probably hook up cord horses to it. But uh, it has an interesting story and a great name, this vehicle. So I'll get to that in a second. Flocken was born in 1845 in the Lower Rhine area of Germany. He began his career working for the Heinrich Lands AG, which is an agricultural manufacturer in Mannheim. So he was looking at tractors and agricultural implements, uh, machined agricultural implements. Then later he moved to Coburg and started his own company. Again, some really interesting corporate history there, where he invented the Flocken Electrowagon. Which is the best name ever. <laughs> the Flocken Electro Wagon in 1888, which again is regarded as the first real electric vehicle. The Flocken Electro Wagon looks, uh, it actually looks silly. It's a very silly looking thing. It's exactly, it looks like a buggy uh, looking carriage with no horses. And I bet if the, if your engine dies, you can just pull up the horses if you need to, because it looks like you could hook up horses to it. <laughs> This was the first uh, high, uh, the, sorry, the first version was a high-wheeled iron-tired carriage wagon with a high center of gravity. It actually looks kind of <laughs> fractious. Uh, narrow track width and a turn with turntable steering. <clears throat> 
It was equipped with an electric motor that had approximately one horsepower, <laughs> which was transferred to the rear. The, the power was transferred to the rear axle by means of leather belts. Its top speed was 15 kilometers an hour, and it weighed 882 pounds. <laughs> uh, so it was um, it was kind of interesting, and I got I got a little bit lost in some weird history uh, with Daimler and Maybach, uh, and then also Benz. Uh, but I gave on that right. gave up on that because it was kind of like I don't really understand what we're talking about, and then all of a sudden I was like, I spent 10 minutes looking at the history of internal combustion engines. And I said, wait a second. No, that's not what we're looking at. So uh, then I was looking at some different uses for electric motors uh, and actually combustion engines in the, in the early days in those, you know, late, uh, late 19th century. And uh, the electric motors were commonly used for bicycles as well. So I looked up electric bicycles because technically it's a vehicle (laughs) and it's electric. That's very true. That's a great Today's electric. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So today's electric bicycles, they're basically regular. The bicycles that we're talking about are regular bicycles with a motor, not the electric like mopeds or... um, uh, electric motorcycles, and these are hugely popular. They are very uh, popular. Their right bicycles now. are already probably the most popular transportation method in the world. Uh, millions and millions and millions of people ride bicycles every day. More than vehicles, more than cars. Sorry. First models of electric bicycles were patented in the U.S. between 1895 and 1899. Wow. Ogden. Ogden Bolton Jr., which is a great name, (laughs) patented the first uh, electric bicycle in 1895. The patent was for a battery-powered bicycle with a six-pole brush and com... Sorry. Six-pole brush and commutator direct current hub motor mounted under the rear wheel. Today, electric bicycles make up about 20% of bicycles in China. Uh, Most bicycles today can have an eight hour charge and can provide a range of 25 uh, to 30 miles or 40 kilometers and a speed of around 20 kilometers per hour china by far sorry it's pretty fast it is pretty fast uh china by far has the most electric bicycles with over uh 120 million electric bicycles in 2010 that's a huge amount yeah yeah Uh, There was a boom of electric bicycles between 2008 and 2010 because the government began restricting motorcycles in cities to avoid accidents and traffic disruptions. So obviously, if you can't have a motorcycle, well, I'll go get an electric bicycle. In 2019, new speed limits were set for electric bicycles at 25 kilometers per hour. (laughs) That's your top speed limit, which is really fast. That's like, if I'm... I'm, it's not my fastest speed on the bicycle, but it's probably like my fastest, like 25, 22 kilometers an hour is like, that's, you're pedaling pretty, yeah. pretty hard and you're going pretty fast. Um, in 2019, there were 233,000 companies that were related to the electric bicycle industry wow, in China. Wow, that's a lot. So it's a huge, huge industry. Another big bike country, and I tangent in, 
tangented again is the Netherlands. And just for comparison, the Netherlands also has a huge bike culture. Uh, Their fleet of bicycles is 18 million bicycles. It's like, I don't know, I forget the stat, but it's something ridiculous, like three bicycles per person or something (laughs) silly like that. In 2010, e-bikes made up only 10% of bikes in the Netherlands, probably because of the cost. It's about three times more expensive than a regular bicycle but also because the average commute in the Netherlands is only six kilometers. So most people who are commuting live very close to where they work compared to, uh, I assume, in China where people have much longer commutes from either suburbs or across cities and that kind of thing. And then I was looking up, I wonder, like, who's the the top... (laughs) Manufacturer, like who's the what's the most popular e-bike? What's the pop, most popular uh, manufacturer of bicycles and electronic bicycles or electric bicycles in uh, in China? And it's the bike manufacturer Tianjin Fu uh, Tianjin Fujita Group in Dongli District in Tianjin, China, which I mentioned is about two hours outside of Beijing. Wow. So, jo- oh, I think we only scratched the surface, really, we, of our yeah. history of the EV. But I think one of the great things about this podcast is that hopefully those listening go <laughs> and find their own rabbit hole yeah. to uh, go down, whether that's the electric uh, bicycle or if they go and look more into Volta. Um, I want to go back and a, look at Faraday's yeah. Dynamo Disc. I, I just didn't have time to go there. Or these electric locomotives. Like, I want to know what this yes. tension is that got us from uh, uh, electric or, yeah, electric locomotives originally that were fairly slow to, like, high-speed rail that a lot of that runs on electricity as well. Uh, so, yeah. uh, and I'd love to be able to kind of get on that tangent, but you're right. It's so, there. an hour is, this was a perfect example that an hour is just not enough time to really, you're, you're literally just scratching the surface. Yeah, that's great. I think that one of the interesting things that kind of came out of this was that in lots of cases, and I think this is probably consistent across lots of things, uh, legislation and cost were the big things that either stopped or started uh, the success of an invention, Uh, whether it was that, you know, one thing was going to cost just slightly too much more than the other thing, or uh, that, you know, there was a speed limit or whatever, and that could literally end an entire branch of uh of development just from something that um, like i'm sure that it seemed benign at the time it was like oh yeah we need to do this because people are getting hit by electric vehicles on the road car they're getting the way of, of horses and buggies or whatever but in the end it stopped an entire almost a generation of development for electric vehicles Sometimes history doesn't change. (laughs) Or not very fast, anyway. That's great. Thanks for coming down the rabbit hole for some historical adventures. Make sure to subscribe to One Hour in the Past and the museum's other podcast, Museum Chat Live, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, so you don't miss any of the historical fun. We're always looking for ideas to spend one hour in the past researching. 
If you have a topic you'd like to see us tackle, connect with us at www.facebook.com slash St. Catherine's Museum or at STC Museum on Twitter and Instagram. Next time on One Hour in the Past, the history of elections. One Hour in the Past is produced by us, Kathleen Powell and Adrian Petrie, and brought to you by the St. Catherine's Museum and Wild Canal Centre and the City of St. Catharines. Mm-hmm.